I am a sick man. I am a spiteful man. I am an unattractive man. I believe my liver is diseased. I felt them positively swarming in me, these opposite elements. They drove me to convulsions and sickened me. I did not know how to become anything, neither spiteful nor kind, neither a hero nor an insect. Now I am living out my life in my corner, taunting myself with the spiteful and useless consolation. Even if I had had magnanimity, I should only have had more suffering from the sense of its uselessness. It is only the fool who becomes anything. The whole principle falls into dust. Tom and Steve listen to the spirit of the age. All they hear is notes from Blunderground. Thank you for joining us on Notes from Blunderground. My name is Tom and my wingman, Steve. Hey, how you doing, guys? Hey, uh, we are back. This is part two on our series called The Boy Crisis. Uh, if you joined us last time, you saw us read a letter uh, from a transgender boy, and he talked about how uh, transitioning for him was less about wanting to be a woman and more about not wanting to be uh, a man or a boy, and uh, how profound uh, uh, that was. And so uh, we talked a little bit about uh, some demographic information and about some challenges that boys face. And now we're back for our second episode. And... Uh, kind of want to pick up where uh we we left off which was talking about friendship. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The uh you know a lot of um a lot of it's very difficult for boys and for men to to have friends uh, and to have extensive friendship groups uh normally. Uh right. But uh I was kind of struck here. I'm going to take a, a note from Blunderground coming out of Twitter. Uh this is Michael Tracy and he's talking about a recent mass shooting. Uh you'll see um you can look in the show notes and you can see how these mass shootings are being blamed on not just men in, uh, in terms of uh, the, them being the ones that do the shooting, right. but also male culture and also and on uh, toxic masculinity uh, and on the way that we have failed boys. And really the lack of friendships, the lack of, of um, connection, you know, even, even from their upbringing, kind of like the letter was saying. There's a, there's a serious lack of connection and uh, lack of um, direction, and you know they, they don't know who to cling to, it seems to me anyways. Man, it really is. It really is. Uh, it brings back to the, um, you know the quote, uh, most men live lives of quiet despair. Hmm, yeah. Yeah, I don't know where that comes from, but yeah, I've heard it. Yeah, I want to say it's Wordsworth, but I think, I'm, I think that's probably wrong. Hmm. So uh, Michael Tracy talking about the uh, school sh- the shooting, excuse me, not a school shooting, it was a Walmart shooting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was uh, this man, I guess his name was uh, was Bing. Uh, it was uh, uh, Mr. Bing was a manager. He says, Mr. Bing seemed not to have much of a life outside of the store. According to those who knew him, including Josh Johnson, 30 years old, a maintenance employee who worked at the store until a few years ago. He was the type of guy who said, I go to work and I go home. I don't have any social life, Mr. Mm. Johnson said. Mm. Yeah. I mean, how many of us have worked with somebody or known somebody like that, right? Yeah. And those are generally the people on the outskirts. I worked with a guy named Roger. 
before. Yeah. Um, just whatever at, at a nursing home. And he was always the person I was like, man, this guy's going to come in and shoot at the place someday, you know? Yeah. But if you think about it, uh, he, that's exactly how he was, you know? And we got to figure out, and this is kind of where I got off topic, you know, uh, last show, I kind of focused in on, on the person, you know, like, uh, like a lot of guys do. And, um, mm. but if you really think about it and get down to like the root causes where we're, we're trying to go and you're like, oh, okay, well, let's look at this guy's life and how this could have affected him. Because as I've said before to you privately, you know, mm. it doesn't really matter what we think of how these things in this person's life has manifested itself, right? Yeah. And how it lines up in whatever term society calls normal within those bounds. What matters is to them, that's their truth. Just like the the riots in in Ferguson and all these other places we saw, right? Right. These people don't leave their houses and go and burn things down and commit felonies just because they feel like it. There is a real feeling there and that something caused it. They truly believe that in their hearts, whatever it is. Yeah, it's it, it goes. It's very it's very interesting. It's it, it goes back to kind of a, a feminist narrative, okay. Where a lot of times, and I, I don't necessarily march in step with this narrative. I find it to be kind of confusing. But there, a lot of me, um, feminists, male feminists especially, will say the problem with feminism isn't that it exists; it's that it hasn't gone far enough. And what they are trying to say when they say that is that to be uh, to support women is to support men. So what they're saying is that, well, feminism is is poor when it only supports women, but it must support men as well. The issue with this, and the reason I disagree with it, is that it tends to create more of a matrilineal environment, right, rather. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, so, it basically says that we, as men, our status relies on women. Yeah, it, it's this. So for those that aren't familiar with the term, okay, a matrilineal society is a society that on the outside is apparently is is overly male. It's run by males. Males are put in places of importance, but on the inner part of the society, it actually is the opposite. Okay. Boy. Yeah, the male the, the the male so for example, say you go into a village, right? You go into a village and you look around, the mayor of the village is a male, all the business owners are males. Right. You know, everyone's a male and you say, yeah. Wow, this is or this place is run by guys. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. In a matrilineal society, the guys exist in in places of authority They're for one figure reason. Head. Yeah, they, and that's one reason, and that's for the promotion and the support of the feminine. Do you have to go into society and into businesses? Look at the homes. Look at the stereotype in many homes. Yeah. Oh, I gotta, I gotta ask. You know, the wife. She runs everything. Right. Yeah. No, it's true. Yeah. Do we really have to go that deep? I don't. I mean, I don't think we have to sure. go that deep. They're sure. right there. No. It's a really great uh, part of the debates. Uh, Esther Vilar did a debate back, I think it was in the '60s, uh, with um, uh, one of the big feminists of that time, and they had this great. There's this great part, uh, and it, it's really profound, where the feminist is talking to to Esther, and and she says. Uh, and she says to her, she says, well, look at our schools and our schools are a great example of how women are uh, denigrated. And, you know, you look at the schools and all the principals are male. All the, the people that uh, choose the curriculum are male. Everyone that makes the decisions are male and they're all male and there are no women in these positions. And Esther Vilar starts to laugh and she thinks it's, it's really she thinks this is a bunch is crazy. And she says to the feminist, she says, you know, she says, you don't you don't you're the one that doesn't get it. This is all by design. She says, a woman doesn't want to go into a school and be the principal. Like, who wants to be the principal of a school? She's like, that's the worst job you could possibly <laughs> saddle someone with. Yeah. Right. Yep. And she's like, 
I don't want to be choosing curriculum. She's like, that's so boring. She's like, the women that go into these schools are doing the job that they want to be doing, which is working with the kids, and they're doing exactly what they want to do. And surprisingly, guess who's doing the work that the women don't want to do? The men are. Mm-hmm. Right? So, you know, these schools were kind of matrilineal. The, the, the women don't have the power, and yet they're being run exactly as the women would run them themselves. You know, that's it's the whole um, it's the whole debate behind voting. All right. So uh, like right now and, and uh, there's a kind of this backlash against the, uh, the 14th Amendment. And honestly, it's a very compelling argument. OK, that women had. So if if the males can vote and all males are married, then the woman basically has the prime position in terms of influencing the man's vote more than any other person. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I suppose you could make that argument in some cases. I, I won't. I, I will not agree with you that it's in all cases. Yeah, and I won't even agree with you that it's in a. I I, I can't say it's more than a fifty-fifty. I won't go past that. Okay. Yeah. I don't. I'm not saying I agree or disagree with it, but I do find it to be a compelling case. Oh, it's definitely a compelling case for sure. Mm-hmm. Because what do you, on any subject, what do you got to deal with? the ramifications of whatever your decision is from your spouse. That's just a fact. Yeah, right. You know, it doesn't matter. I don't care what lawnmower you choose <laughs> down to who you right, vote that's for. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. They're going to remind you if that was the wrong choice. Right, and they're going to be able to make their, uh, that, make their opinions known. That's right. That's right. No, that's right. Uh, it is, um, it is, it's very, so, uh, you know, it's kind of back in terms of, of these places and, and being uh, with a lack of friends. There is, there's a real lack of social scripts, okay? So even in a matrilineal society, I think men can at least survive in that kind of environment as long as they know what to do, okay, right? Is they, 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 there's got to be a script. And even uh, liberals who are, are, are against, um, say, for example, a more uh, what, they would, what they would call a toxic masculinity, yeah. a lot of these types still think that there needs to be some sort of a social script. And right now we don't really have any because what we've done is we've destroyed the old and we've destroyed the old and we've haven't really replaced it with anything. No, and so the, that's kind of where this debate is now. Yeah, the waters have been super muddied, right? Like I agree. Like like I maybe there's maybe there's no social script, but maybe there's no so strong social script and there's just a lot of now there's a lot of social scripts, but none of them are really anything you could grasp or cling to and call it something that would identify with traditional masculinity. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily think so. It's so a lot of what it is is there's no real dedicated space, and there's no. So when we have, we have for a lot of times, for example, in the workspace. Okay, okay. so in the workspace was a chance. So men need to be able to prove themselves externally. Yes. All right. Yeah. Externally. Yeah. And so a lot of it is external. And so uh, it is how they and it is it's very important for them to do that. And so that's where, for example, strict hierarchies come in to play, like in the military. Yeah. Right. Right. Like so in the military, in the military, if you always have someone who's over you 24 hours a day, Mm -hmm. then it's easier to know what you should be doing or how to excel. Yep. It's a very it's a very rigid set set of uh, set of rules. Yeah, mm. and I think the workplace is very important for social life. You'll see here this this person worked in uh, this person worked in a Walmart uh, for I think over a decade uh, for for almost ten years, and they had no social life. They only worked. So 
when I, uh, in my former life as a convenience store manager, I oftentimes would have employees, and, and it was always hard, but, okay, the employees would come in, these would be awkward young men, all sure. right? Okay. And they would work for me, and so I worked with a lot of awkward young men. Yeah. However, one of my roles, and, and I never knew this kind of going in, but I, over time, this became very apparent to me, yeah. okay, is that part of my role as a manager of the store was to make the crew into an effective crew. And a lot of times, as I got older, it became more plain that my role was to make ineffective men into effective men. Yep. All right, and I'm not going to lie, and I'm not going to name names or anything, but I will say you have ineffective men that come in, and they have no idea of what to do, and they have no idea of how to proceed, and they don't have allies. Right. Right. They have nothing and they have nobody. Okay. Yep, right. So for me as the manager, as the guy who's running the store, right? Like I have to make the, the I mean, I got bosses, right? So I, I got to make the clocks run on time. I got to make the trains run on time. That's right. So, and, I, and no one cares how I do it. They just care that I do it. Right. And so I quickly figured out that, you know, I got, I got, I got Mr. Uh, I got Mr. Upper Middle Class over here who's got his own way of doing things. He doesn't need motivation. Yeah. Well, yeah, but also too, he doesn't necessarily need to work. I mean, he's got it all figured out. He's right. got life all figured out. Right. So as a manager, I come along and I say, you know what? You're gonna have you go over there, and you're not gonna listen to me anyway. So you just go away now. Yes. And then you sit down with the outcast That's and right. you say, listen, this is what I need, and this is what I need from you, and this is the what I need you to behave. Yep. And when those people came through for you and oh Jim, man. That was when, as like a manager, as a man, and, and, and it's not just good management, okay? This is not a LinkedIn podcast where I'm trying to talk about good management. Yeah. I'm talking about being a man and a role model. Right. And saying, hey, everyone needs to stop what they're doing and look at this guy, okay? Because this guy came through for me in a jam, and this guy's going to get elevated no matter what. And it sometimes it was the first or second or third time, or maybe that this guy had ever been elevated his entire life. That's exactly why those people will likely... Uh, most of the time, 99% of the time, they will outshine that, that person who's been in middle management their whole life and they don't really need that job anymore. And really what you did is you gave him a purpose, mm. right? And you, you gave him his first position where he could shine in anything. Yeah. Yep. And that's, men are doers. Boy, aren't they though? Men are doers. Boy, aren't they? That's not to say that men don't think or can't think or incapable of thinking. Yeah. But men are doers. They stand back and they look at what they've accomplished, and that's where they're that's that's what they're proud of. They really are. They really are doers. I tell you, I, I this is the hat trick. I did this. Uh, I did this as many times as I could, and it wasn't always successful. But when it was successful, it, nothing gets any better. Sure. You always take the most popular employee. Okay, the tallest, most good-looking guy, the most popular guy. Everyone loves, and is the guy that you know everybody wants to be. This guy, you know, all the women want to be with him, and all the guys want to be him. I don't know anybody like that. <laughs> right <laughs> right yeah. and so then so then you get that guy and then you get another guy and that's the outcast and so it was always step one is teach the outcast how to work how to how to work hard okay and yep. if the if he could become if the outcast could put himself into a position of becoming the hardest worker and did the work the hardest in the right way right yeah then if you could get that then what you could do is is you always had the, the outcast became the hardest worker. Then what you could do is you could always 
put them together. All right, you could always in, in terms of a team. And I did this once, and I won't name names or talk about them. I'm telling you, it worked. It was unbelievable. I, you put these two guys together, okay, and you say, okay, as the guy that runs the show, okay, like like you're the guy at the top of the food chain, and so what you do is you exalt the hard work. And you exalt that, right? And so you're exalting that internally. So externally, every, externally, you have uh, uh, you have uh, the the outcast is looking externally because he wants to be more like the guy who is 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 loved. And then the popular guy internally, he kind of wants to get promoted, you know. Yeah. So he, he doesn't want to stay on the bottom of the role. The of uh, 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 he doesn't want to stay on the bottom, and he knows that the people that make decisions are watching. So he's he, he kind of wants to be more like the outcast. Yeah. And when the other team members could see that the outcast wanted to be was working and was coming up in stature, and they could see that the that the popular person would connect with the outcast, all of a sudden everybody no one made the distinction anymore and they started to be like each other and to watch an outcast grow into manhood in that environment you know like you can be mcdonald's it could be a convenience store it could be a factory it could be the military yeah yep and you know what <clears throat> that right there that that is the key to leadership i'm not not trying to get off on a tangent here but sure. just here's a little morsel for those of you people who are in leadership positions and maybe struggling or or just got into a leadership position i'll tell you this right now as a sergeant uh, in the army for five years mm -hmm. your success does not rise or fall on you it rises or fall on the people you lead they can make you or they can break you yep. mm -hmm. only as strong as your weakest link yep, yep. that's it yep. you are going to be judged by that person yep that's right yep because your job to bring them up to that person who's six one and all the chicks like, <laughs> and you ain't gonna make them any taller. Right. So you better make them more confident. Right? No. Yeah. There you go. Right? There you go. Right? Absolutely. That's really what it is: is building male confidence these days. There, there isn't a lot of it. Yeah. You know. Well, a lot of it is the males don't know. See, males need predetermined. I, I say this quite a bit. Males gear toward the objective, and females gear toward the subjective. All right. Now, when I say that, it kind of sounds like, oh, you know, guys are smart, girls are not. That's not what I'm saying. Okay. No. What I'm saying is that guys have rules, need rules, and need an objective way to do things. That's if you do it this way, you're right. If you do it this way, you're wrong. Okay. I got it. That's us being doers, man. That's all it is. That's all it is. Yeah. You know, that's all it is. And so uh, that's where uh, strict hierarchies work well. Okay. Whether it's dad in the home, whether it's sergeant in the military, whether it's the boss at work. Okay, so hierarchies work very, very well for men because men can look at hierarchies and they know who to listen to and they know what to do and they know how to get ahead. No questions asked. What do I do? Boom, go. There you go. Yeah, that's it. Efficiency. Yep, efficiency. Now, the the female, all right, not better or not worse or better, but the female is more of a of of a relational. Okay, okay. is is more relational and they they they, they tend to be more effective by managing relationships and being friends with people and um and you know kind of managing situations uh, all right and so um they're more relational and so in our economy okay so in our economy what we've done uh, for example um a, a lot of the uh uh, a lot of in the colleges, okay? So in the colleges, a lot of that is more female-oriented. Oh, absolutely. Outside of STEM. But now we've actually subsidized STEM. We want more women in STEM. So women have been subsidized because they are allowed. So 
this is a good illustration of what we're talking about in the sense of when women are subsidized to go into STEM fields and they are subsidized to get STEM degrees, we are saying to women that you can be anything you want to be and that you are going to you are going to have every opportunity to succeed in any given silo, no matter what you choose, no matter what path. You want to be a fighter in the UFC, no problem. You want you want to be a housewife, no problem. You want to be a run a CEO of a company, no problem. Okay. When men get outside of their silos, they're oftentimes viewed as defective women. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. My very first job. And so this is, we're talking 20 years ago. Yeah. This is how crazy it was even then. I, and I look back and I'm like, this is nuts. Yeah. So my very first job was Dunkin' Donuts. You had all the females working the front counter. Okay, Dunkin' Donuts. We're not talking Hooters here. We're talking Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts, okay. I was men, okay? And I'm yeah. 15. I'm not, I'm a yeah. young boy, but whatever. Sure. Okay, if you're a boy, you were not allowed to work anything except the janitorial positions, period. That's it. Females were the only ones allowed to run the register, make the coffee, this sort of thing. Be out yeah. front. Yeah. You weren't supposed to be seen. Yeah. Wasn't wasn't a good face for the company. Dunkin' yeah. Donuts? Yeah. What? Yeah. How crazy is that? Yeah. You know? I know. You know it really is. And, and it, it goes on all levels. I mean, it doesn't. Um, even, for example, um, it, it goes on all levels. For welfare. I'll say it. All right. You know, welfare. Uh, you know, when um, we in the welfare state, men are oftentimes, uh, and they don't want the welfare because it's oftentimes it's not objective, it's subjective. Oh, yeah. You know, it's based on feelings, okay? Oh, yeah. So, you know, someone sees a single mom at Walmart and the kid is crying because they're hungry and people go, well, you know what we need? We need to have a society that takes care of these people. They feel bad for them. Yeah, they feel see bad. See that with a dad and, and, and how do you see that? Right, well, no, the dad's going to say, how much money you make in a week? Where's your income coming from? How many jobs you've been trying to Why aren't you taking care of the family? Right, and it's all, where's the dad or all this and 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 so the men will come up with with precise objective numbers and work within those numbers and they'll say well if you're going to get help you're going to do a b c d and and there you go and it's not based on feelings yeah so for example like when when women approach a uh like a welfare situation for them it's not that they're freeloaders but they know they can manage that intuitively yes they are in their element yep. whereas if you tell a man you're gonna you know a man sits down with someone for for say for example uh, uh for like a welfare program they're going to have to they're going to have to enter that world of subjective relation mm-hmm. and that's not a good thing for a guy right it's it's not that's not their element no all right it's it's not their element and the entire work world is, is like this yeah uh you know we don't people don't really think about this and and it's wild because we're now beyond the information age uh, so w- the way we start in terms of the economy, okay? So we start in terms of the economy with the industrial age. And this is what, it is kind of what I call the survival age. All right, people are working basically to survive. So no doubt. Yeah. And That's so, the truth. <laughs> yeah, well, people went to work, and, and I'd say back maybe in the, the 50s and, and even before that, uh, before the World Wars, people would go and, and the Industrial Revolution, they were just looking to survive. That's why people didn't leave jobs. Right. Because if you it, 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 you got a job and the job uh, the job gave you a skill and that allowed you to keep coming back and use the skill and keep getting paid for it, 
then you would no longer be in poverty. You could now build. You could work. You could survive. After the new, after the new deal, I mean, people took jobs they didn't want. It was jobs of necessity. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And there was no such thing as a job that wasn't a necessity. People did what they could do. Exactly. And the survival was the reward. Exactly. Then you go on later on, and what you and I kind of, you know, when I think of the modern world, this is kind of what I think of, and it's always weird for me to think that we're beyond it now, because survival became basically ubiquitous. It became ever-present. It's everywhere. So back when we, you and I were younger, no one no one thought about survival as being something you had to maintain. Something you no, had it to was maintain. a given. It was a given. Yeah. Right? So this, a lot of people call this the information economy. All right? It's more information because information was becoming prevalent with the internet. Yeah, right. Well, that's what drove the whole um, college, you know, go to college message. Yes, exactly. And remember when everyone, when all the older people would go back to college, like back in the 90s? Yeah, yeah. And I remember a lot of older people were like, I'm quitting my job. I'm going to, I'm doing whatever it takes. I'm going to take out all this money and I'm going back to college. Because the, the idea was that there's this information out there and it's information that I don't know. But yeah. if I can attain it, if I can get my hands on it, then I can change my life. And there was a time when that was true. And that's why we still had parents 10 years ago telling their kids, no, 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 you gotta, you definitely have to go to college. But what do we see now? I don't, I don't want to jump ahead here, but we are in that social economy where it don't matter what that piece of paper is you have. Man. Now we've accepted the fact that you've wasted $100,000 because it matters how well you interview. Man, I, I will tell you, man, right now, I, like my own child, my kids were the ones that opened my eyes to this because and I find it shocking because I could have lived my whole life and not even really seen it. Yeah. But I mean, I, I did. Listen, my son sat me down at a certain point and he, he explained it to me. And, and, and I, he said, he said that he said all the knowledge is available. He said, why do I, you know, I, like, cause we homeschool and he say, what am I doing half of the stuff I'm doing? Yeah. Like, I don't need to do this. If I need to have this information, I just need to get to the computer and look it up and it's there. Yeah, if you guys are wondering, uh, just, just a plug for the other show, go over to Digital Blunderground. There's a show about Wyatt. That's Tom's son. And man, you guys want to hear a kid beyond his years. Wow. It, it's amazing. It, it felt like we were talking to somebody that was our age. Yeah, there you go. You know? Yeah. But yeah. There you go. Well, but that's, that's a product of all the, of the information age, yeah. the information economy that we're in. Right, yeah. No, he true. realizes it. Yeah, he does. He realizes it. And he's telling me, like, they no longer value information, okay? It's not, like, informa- for them, information is like a pillow on a bed. Like, if you tell me right. there's a bed in that room, I'm just going to assume this got a pillow on there. And I'm not going to tell you, hey, Steve, there's a nice pillow on your bed. You yeah, know, it's like, a given. I, it's a given, right? Yeah. So for him, information is a given. Right. So people no longer th- go to work for survival. And people no longer go to work for information, all right? Like, the information is there. So if I say... Like, come to me and I will teach you this information. Like, what do you need to learn that you can't just look up on Google? Like or, or that you're not going to get an OJT. I, I mean, how many things are on the job training? Yeah. We have, right. you want to talk like the things that are still information-based economy? Yeah. You're talking what? Doctor, lawyer, because you need technical stuff. Yeah. You know, uh, plumber, electrician, your skill trades. Yeah. I mean, that's it. It's really narrowed down. Yeah, no, it's really that, is. You can go build cars with absolutely no information whatsoever it's all ojt because you're going to be running a robot uh, robotic machine but not e- Snoop, but even on not even necessarily okay so you can you can go to uh, coding camp all right you can all coding research um, they have free websites that you can uh, as a kid 
there are websites that are for free where you can start your kids doing um, like fruit games and they can do little games on the internet to learn oh, yeah. how to code. Yeah. And then the free resources are there almost the entire way. Yeah. Wow. Khan, Khan Academy was free. Okay. I don't know his backstory, but he, he got independently wealthy and decided, well, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to put cal- calculus on the internet and I'm going to teach people calculus for free. Yeah. You know, that's true. How many, how many things have you done in your house or your life or you YouTubed them? I had a friend of mine who, uh, he, after he got sober, um, you know, and then, uh, uh he, um, you know, God bless him. He, uh, after he got sober, he, 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 he realized that his house needed all this uh, upkeep and he, um, he didn't know what to do. He didn't have any skills. Mm-hmm. So he said, well, and YouTube it now and every day he was always on YouTube and learned all those skills from YouTube. Yeah. I get, I wonder how much that's taken away from the economy and really all the stuff that people are YouTubing. We're looking at traditional masculinity type jobs. Yeah. You know, and a lot of this is, uh, the workplace now, it, it's 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 not information based anymore. It's all social. Yep. And I think this is the problem with with men that it's. I'm not going to say it's a problem. I don't mean that we burn it with fire. Okay. But these the workplaces. All right. It really struck me the other day when we had International Men's Day. Hmm. And on, I, on International Toilet Day. On International Toilet My Day. My goodness. I know. And so I kind of went in and I was looking at some, uh, some of the comments. That uh, that uh, uh, over in Blunderground and on Twitter and uh, coming from um, coming from that world, and something struck me, and, it, and it's always it is women constantly frame men as needing to be aware and frightened for mental illness. All right, it's always mental illness. It's always well, we got to be we got to be there for the men because the men are mentally ill or they might be mentally ill or they might struggle with it at some point. So we've got to make sure that we're there to help the men to be to, to to with their mental illnesses or with the mental health, right? The mental health. And it, it I thought about it, you know, like how much of this malaise of okay, men need mental health. Men, men's mental health is now poor. Men's mental health is now so down. If you men want to go to work to be providers, all right? So if you, number one, no longer, if you can no longer succeed in the workplace because any job that you can get respect for requires you to be able to navigate a relational world of, of subjective standards and that's based, on, that's based on emotion and feeling and on outward expressions of feelings. If you can't survive in that world, and then on top of that, there's actually no provider role that you can still take. Yeah. All right. So something that people want to think about, okay, in about 30 to 35 years, all right, statistically, and and Brad Wilcox has has done some work on this, in about 30 to 35 years, it is going to be an almost one-to-one correlation in terms of a, a young married couple, okay, that is young, married, white, middle class, and happy, and with correlating with uh, staunch religious belief. Hmm. So in about 30, 35 years, if you say you see a young couple walking down the street and they're young, they're married, and they're happy, you can almost say, okay, they're, uh, they go to church every single week. You know, they, uh, you know, those are Christians. You know, you can just walk up and then you can say, hey, you know, like what church do you guys go to? And you have almost a 100%, almost a 100% possible probability they're going to be able to say oh yeah we're we're believers what's the other side of the coin the other side of the coin is not being married Hmm. 
And so, and the other side is, is not being married. And this is something that we could talk about a little bit more uh, in terms of the relationships, because it does affect the relationships of what kind of, not of the, the workplace, the social, when, so, because at so many times, so many times is men and women meet and gather and meet each other in the workplace. All right. So, but now, even even now, where are you going to meet a girl on social media, okay, or on online dating? It's still something that requires those kind of relational skills. Whereas men want to demonstrate their ability to provide, but if there's if you don't need to provide, if, if women don't no longer need a provider, then that you're signaling something that nobody wants. Well, I'll tell you what. Go th- if we had access to some of the chats between men and women on those sites, those dating sites. Um, like we have access to Twitter, yeah, you'd see that displayed. Yeah, no, and I because <laughs> they get on there, yeah. and what what do they what right. do they have to talk about? If it's not the bedroom, they have to talk about what they do for work, how big their house is, what they drive for a car, these different social cues that I'm a good provider. Yeah, right. Social cues. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, and that's not what women want. I mean, if you want to see a good example, that's just. That's a great example I can think of of the divide in society and the divide of traditional roles and uh, the divide of thinking between men and women and how we're designed. I can't, yeah. I'm sorry, I, no, as a it's, Christian, it's, I can't not frame this in a, in a Christian way and how God made us. Yeah, no, and absolutely, no, absolutely. And it's. It, I think it does point to a lot of what we see because uh, George Gilder uh, wrote a book. Um, uh, George Gilder is a, a kind of a conservative intellectual and he works kind of in the economic field and in the marriage field. He wrote a great book called Men and Marriage. And I don't think we're going to do it next, but we probably should. We're going to do it at some point. So that's on the show. You promised three books next, so we need. Well, to- no, but if you listen, <laughs> if you think this is something that you want, you want to hear about, and you want Tom and Steve to talk about George Gilder and men and marriage, you write in, you get a hold of us, and you let us know. That's what we need to be doing. But for right now, save me, please. For right now, we're going to be. Otherwise, we're headed for Schlossberg. For right now, we're going to be. <laughs> For right now, we're gonna. I can't wait to get to Sausburg. So oh. now, so here we're gonna do it. So maybe we'll move it up, and if we let us know, we'll move it up, and that would be pretty epic because this book is. It's probably the greatest book, probably not the Bible that's ever been written, but <laughs> I mean maybe not, but probably so. And Men in Marriage, it's the it's just an amazing book. And anyways, so uh, what we're gonna do is we'll get that book. And in the book, he talks about how when men are no longer needed for uh, for provision. Okay, and they're no longer needed for proliferation, then men will become either outlaws or outcast. Okay. Yeah, and that's what we see happening in Denmark right now. They've kind of accelerated it, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that's true. That's true. I guess that's true. Hey, maybe that'll be a great way to start the next episode. We thank you for joining us on Notes from Blunderground and talking about the boy crisis. We've got a great way to start the next episode. It has to do with Denmark, and if you don't know what we're talking about, then you're not gonna want to miss it. See you next time. I am a sick man. I am a spiteful man. I am an unattractive man. I believe my liver is diseased. I felt them positively swarming in me. These opposite elements, they drove me to convulsions and sickened me. I did not know how to become anything, neither spiteful nor kind, neither a hero nor an insect. Now, I am living out my life in my corner, taunting myself 
with despiteful and useless consolation. Even if I had had magnanimity, I should only have had more suffering from the sense of its uselessness. It is only the fool who becomes anything. The whole principle falls into dust. Tom and Steve listen to the spirit of the age. All they hear is notes from Blunderground. <laughs>